You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gaston Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Amen, and thank you to our worship team for leading us this morning. If you will, go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. Again, that is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And we are in the final chapter of the Gospel of John this morning, and we're going to be looking at the first 14 verses in a sermon that I have titled, A Life of Fruit and Fellowship. A Life of Fruit and Fellowship. If you take notes, there is your title. In his book, uh, Knowing God, J.I. Packer said that we as Christians are to know God, not just know about him. And in this famous book, he makes the case that most people know about God, but few actually know him. One of the main themes that runs throughout the book is that we should strive to live our life for Christ. And if we do that, we will see our lives look much different in a very positive gospel way. He said this, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. He says this not because following and knowing Jesus makes every single problem vanish, right? We know that. We who are believers, who follow the Lord, who know him, we know very emphatically that our problems do not just dissipate and disappear. Rather, what Packer is saying here is that when our chief priority is following Christ, then our priorities shift. The things that we give attention to shift, and we are focused on the right things, and we give them the appropriate places in our life. Things start to change. Matthew 6.33 illustrates this, where it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Well, what are the things? This is the provision of the Lord that is seen there in Matthew 6. Once we seek first the kingdom of God, we can trust God's providence. This is a lesson that we're going to see Peter and the others learn here in our text today. They are trying to discern. They're trying to work out the answer to the question of what discipleship looks like in the world after the resurrection of Christ. And in the process of figuring that out, We see Peter begin to understand that a life lived for Christ is the only way to truly live a life of fruit and fellowship. And so if you are physically able, please stand with us this morning in honor and respect for the reading of God's word. Again, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, I read from the ESV. You follow along in your translation. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? 
They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we come before you this morning and Lord, we thank you so much for your tremendous mercy and grace. Father, we thank you that you have called us to a life of following you. And Lord, we pray that through this time together looking in the text, that Father, you would just reveal yourself to us and reveal how we can follow you more closely. Lord, we pray today that you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us. Father, you would equip us for what you have ahead of us. Lord, we pray that you would continue to call us into a deeper relationship with you. Lord, we know that you are good and gracious and glorious and merciful. And so, Father, we pray that you would just bless our service today, that your will be done for your glory and honor alone, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you're seated this morning, we'll begin to look at the context of this passage. John 21 is sort of an epilogue of the Gospel of John. We see the loose ends of uh, Peter's life tied up, and we're even given some insight into what John was told to do as well. But to this point, the ministry of Jesus, right, all that was contained within it, the, the ministry of Jesus has occurred. The crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, all of these things have already happened. And now, we're even at the point where Jesus has already appeared to the disciples In the upper room. He's shown Thomas his scars. And then at the end of John chapter 20. We see that John gave us the purpose statement of the book of John. This is written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that we might have new life in him. That's the purpose. That's why he wrote this book. But today we see John tell us that the upper room appearance was not the only appearance that Christ made. Now, we know from other Gospels that Jesus also appeared in other places. For example, on the road to Emmaus. But John here, he tells us this specific story. And it's important because this story not only happened to John. right? John was not only there and witnessing these events and a part of the things that was happening. But he also recognizes that this is important because it tells us of the restoration of Peter by Christ. We see the story of Peter's restoration, and we'll look at that next week. 
But this passage opens with an acknowledgement that the story takes place on the Sea of Tiberias. This is in Galilee. And, and what we realize is that there are a group of disciples there. We have Simon Peter. We have Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And we need to understand who these men were. We naturally recognize that these men were disciples, right? These are people who had left everything behind to follow Jesus. But sometimes I think we forget that these men had a life before Christ called them to be disciples. And when we think about this, what we really need to realize is it was probably very much mundane. But they had lives, they had backgrounds, they had stories. Many were fishermen, and thus this story makes sense. But they had left everything behind at the call to be disciples. The call of discipleship is truly a call to leave everything for the sake of Christ. Whatever else may get in the way, we leave it all behind for the sake of following Christ. And so they did. They embarked on this journey as disciples to follow Christ. And, and discipleship before Christ's crucifixion and resurrection was clear. Right? I'm not going to say it was easy, but it was clear. What did they do? Well, they left everything to physically follow him. They walked with Jesus. Wherever he led, they went. And so they're, they're moving from town to town. They're carrying out the ministry. They're teaching. They're watching Jesus perform miracles and preach. And, and they, they listened to him teach. And they did what he told them to do. But now that Jesus is not physically in front of them, they're left with a question. And that question is, what now? What do we do now? Well, we know that Jesus made it clear through his word and through teaching but they are now in this period of transition, right? This story occurs before the ascension of Christ. This is before Pentecost. And so they're wondering, what does it look like to follow Christ now? They don't yet have this, this full kind of commission yet. And so what does it look like for them to follow Christ, to be people who are sent, as we saw back in John 20? And in attempting to answer this question, we realize they were sent back to Galilee to wait. And Peter does what the rest of us probably would. He goes back to what he knows well, his old life. But we need to remember that in Christ, we are called to life and life abundant. We're called to this life of, of fruitfulness and fellowship. We're called to follow Christ with every aspect of our life. And so in the process of the disciples struggling with this question, Jesus appears to them and he performs this powerful miracle. And what I want to do today is to show you three things that are made evident or clear by Jesus' appearance in the story. Three things that are made clear by Jesus' appearance in the story. The first thing I want you to see is the fruitlessness of worldly things or the fruitlessness of a life apart from Christ. Peter says to the others, I am going fishing. Now this is a, a statement that, that many of us have said over the years, right? I'm going fishing. Peter here, though, is not just going fishing for fun or just simply to pass the time. We need to understand this. This is not uh, us getting uh, a weekend and going fly fishing down here at the falls or, or taking the boat out on the Kusa and going fishing. What this is talking about, what Peter is saying here, according to the language and the context, the suggestion is that Peter is saying, I am going back 
to fishing. It's not just I'm going fishing. I'm going back to fishing as a livelihood, as a way of life. When Peter says, I'm going fishing, what he's saying is, I am going to be a fisherman again. And we see that the others follow him. And we're left with this kind of this question, why would Peter do this? Well, there, there's actually a couple of reasons that we could see that Peter might do this. Well, first of all, we need to remember that Peter had denied Christ three times. Right before the crucifixion, Peter has denied Christ three times after swearing he would never do such a thing. He denies the Lord even by cursing. He had fallen and messed up in sin, and we have not yet seen him restored. We know that will come next week. And so at this point, Peter is probably feeling pretty guilty about his sin. Another thought here, and one of the reasons I believe that this is pretty plausible, is that the other disciples join with him, is that the disciples now had no income or way to make ends meet. We need to remember that before, when they were traveling around doing ministry, the group had a treasury. Remember, this is famously managed by Judas, and Judas would help himself to a little bit as he felt like he needed it. But they had a treasury, and, and what would happen is that the ministry was supported by the people that they were ministering to, right? A, a type of charity-type uh, contribution. And so now Peter is both broke and broken. They, they have no money. They have no treasury. And Peter, you know, he's broken because of his sin. And so in that moment, instead of waiting and trusting in God's providence as he's supposed to do there in Galilee, he goes back to the only way he knows how to make a living. He goes fishing. Because this was his former occupation. Matthew 4.18 talks of Jesus calling the disciples. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This was their life. This was their region. They knew the seas well. When Jesus called them, they were fishermen. It was their career. It was their way of life. They had probably been doing this from the time that they were young boys. But Jesus didn't leave them as fishermen. No, he called them to something greater. Mark 1.17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus had called them to a life of service to him, but now they have reverted to the old way of life. And what did they have to show for it? John 21.3 says, But that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. These people who, who had made a lifetime of fishing, who knew the sea well, they knew where the holes were. They knew where the fish hiked to hide. They, they knew how to uh, see and understand the weather, the tides. They understood it all. And yet after an entire night of fishing, Jesus calls out to them the next morning. He says, y'all have any fish? And what's the answer? No. All night and not a single fish. And what this account does for us is show us clearly the fruitlessness of a life that is lived for worldly things or a life lived without Christ. They worked hard all night and had nothing 
to show for it. Now, what I want you to not hear me say here is that I'm not saying you cannot work a secular job and bear fruit. I'm saying exactly the opposite. What I'm saying is that you can be a disciple or a minister or a fisherman, but if your life is not lived for Christ and simply for worldly things, it will be fruitless. The fruitlessness is not because of the job. The fruitlessness here is because they were trying to do things in their own strength rather than waiting for Jesus as he had instructed them to do. They didn't trust his providence and so they tried to do things in their own strength and what winds up happening is that they don't do anything. And we need to learn from that lesson. We must realize that working in our own strength and our own skill will yield us nothing if the Lord is not in it. Back in John 15, we we discussed this in depth. John 15, 5, Jesus tells the disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the definition of fruitlessness. So what is the lesson here? Obviously, once we are disciples, we cannot go back to the old way of life. Just as if we are saved by God's grace, we should not return to the old ways of sin and works. When we are a a disciple or a follower of Christ, we should not try to retake control of certain areas of our life. Again, he is our sovereign head who has a plan for us and will provide in accordance with his will. That doesn't mean that we don't work. But when Jesus had specifically told them to meet him in Galilee and await his instruction, he did not say for them to return to the old way of fishing. We work, we provide, we do what we need to do in this life, but we do it in obedience to Christ and the call that he has placed on us and we do it in his strength for his glory. Spurgeon once said that the most mundane jobs are glorious when they're done for the glory of God. Could God be glorified in the life of a fisherman? Absolutely. Again, the opposite is true. Even the most glorious of callings is fruitless and worthless if it's done in the strength of man and for the glory of man. So don't do it. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, apart from me you can do nothing. But thankfully he said more than just that, he said with me you will bear much fruit. And so my encouragement to you today is to realize that we do not need to try to do things in our own strength, in our own power, and in our own wisdom. Rather, we're to follow the Lord and trust in him. Again, man has a way he thinks he should go, and that way leads to death. Right? Death, nothingness, fruitlessness, lifelessness. Don't trust your own wisdom. Rather, trust the Lord. Because again, with him... We will bear much fruit, which is what brings us to the second thing I want you to see here today. That is the fruitfulness of life with Christ. There's a fruitlessness apart from Christ, but there is a fruitfulness of life with Christ. Jesus shows up here and the impact is massive and it is immediate. He says, have you caught any fish? At this time, they don't realize that it's the Lord. The text tells us later on they're about a football field away. And so they're looking across, somebody's yelling at him. Y'all caught any fish? No. 
He's on the shore and they're out on the sea. He calls out and he asks about their catch. They say, no, no fish. We've gone all night, caught nothing, right? That's the idea here. And so he says to them, cast the net on the right side, the starboard side of the boat, and you'll find some. And they do. Now, to me, it's funny, first of all, that they, that they even do it. They don't know who this is, right? They're the fishermen. They're the career guys. They know the seas. But it's kind of you can kind of imagine here that after all night of catching nothing, they're like, oh, well, give it a shot, right? They, they throw the net over, and you can imagine that they're probably pretty uh, skeptical. And yet... They cast it and they're not able even to haul the net in because they caught so many fish. Again, the side-by-side comparison is so obvious, right? In their own strength all night, not a fish. The men catch a multitude of fish so large they cannot haul it in on a single cast when they heed the Lord's instructions. When they were obedient to Christ, things changed. Now, we need to be clear again that this is not the prosperity gospel. Right? This is not saying that for us, if we're just obedient to Christ, that suddenly our empty nets will be full. Right? That's not what I'm saying. Jesus did this here to demonstrate his power and his lordship and his glory to his disciples. And it had its intended effect. Because what happens? They throw the net in and they can't pull it in because it's caught on, on all these fish. So many fish in the net that they can't pull it in. And John says, it is the Lord. He knew. And we see what is an amazing scene unfold. This is is, is so beautiful. When Peter hears that it is the Lord, he puts on his clothes and throws himself into the sea. The idea here, again, the the text is that Peter had been stripped for work. He wasn't wearing his outer garments because he's swimming and sweating and fishing. And unlike us, right, we realize that in this time, well, not now, but, you know, about three, four weeks ago, you remember how when you walked outside, you probably had to change clothes three or four times a day from all the sweat and the heat. Here, they, they didn't have that. They had one pretty much set of clothes, right? And so Peter is, is stripped down because he's sweating and swimming and fishing. And yet when the Lord does this miracle, Peter, whose idea all this was in the first place, Gets dressed, right? He throws on his clothes and he throws himself into the sea. Now, something else that's interesting here is that the thought of many commentators and pastors and and even from some historical context believe that the boat was Peter's. Think about that for a second. It's Peter's boat. The master fisherman, whose idea this all is, is on his boat out there. And they they catch all of these fish, the biggest catch, presumably, that they'd ever had. And Peter casts himself into the sea, leaving behind his boat, leaving the other disciples, leaving all the fish behind. Why? Because Christ is better. Peter understood in that moment that Christ is better than all that stuff. He's better than the stuff of the world. He's better than the financial blessing of the fish. He's better than the old life. Following Christ was number one, and the rest of it could wait. He throws himself into the sea because he says, it doesn't matter. When John says, it is the Lord, 
Peter left all of that behind. Listen, church, the success of the world is hollow when compared with that of Christ. And even when we do have success, it's fleeting. Right? Uh, one of the, the best illustrations, something that kept coming to my mind as I was working on this sermon, uh, is, a, is another fishing story. And it's from the famous novel, The Old Man and the Sea. I remember when I had to read the book in school, I was so frustrated at The Old Man and the Sea. Because this old man, basically, if you haven't read it, he, he's got supposedly bad luck. He hadn't caught a fish in months. He, he goes way out into the gulf. And he catches what is essentially the world's biggest marlin. And he fights it for days. When he finally catches it, it's so big that he can't bring it into his boat because it's bigger than the boat. So he has to tie it to the boat. And he spends all of his effort trying to keep the sharks from eating it. He harpoons one. He tapes a knife to a stick another time and tries to kill a shark that way. He tries to hit him with the paddle. But eventually what he realizes is that it's futile. And by the time he gets back to his home, the only thing left of that marlin is the skeleton. The success of the world is fleeting. And no matter how hard we try to fight and keep it at bay, rot, decay, other people, whatever it may be, will come for the success that we have and it will fade. It'll vanish. It'll fall apart. The Bible says it this way, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but rather what stands forever is the word of God. We store up treasure where the moth cannot eat it, where rust will not destroy it and rot will not occur. We are to store up our treasure in heaven. And basically the idea is that instead of seeking the worldly success and the glory that comes along with it, we are to seek to follow Christ and to glorify him. And the end fruit is so much better. Because it's eternal. And it will never fade away. And so it is in that vein and that idea that we must say shame on me if I forsake Christ for the glory and rewards of men. For they will soon be destroyed. But praise be if I forsake the rewards and glory of men for the glory of Christ. For I have stored up treasure in heaven that can never be destroyed. You see, true discipleship is about leaving the old behind. Not that we have to leave our old jobs behind, but that we must leave our old way of life behind. Our primary occupation is to be a follower of Christ. And we are to throw ourselves into the sea like Peter, leaving all behind for the cause of Christ. Because that is the only way to have a fruitful life. And that's what brings me to our third and final point this morning, which is that fellowship with Christ is the goal. There's a fruitlessness of living life simply for the things of the world. There's a fruitfulness of life with Christ. And the goal is fellowship with Christ. Peter throws himself into the sea and heads for shore. The others come in the boat dragging the net full of fish because they're not far, again, just a football field away. And when they get to the land and they get out on it, they see that Jesus is there with a charcoal fire, fish cooking and bread. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you caught. So they go and they find 153 large fish. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. 
This was an extraordinary amount of fish that could not have been caught or kept in the net without supernatural help. That is the fruit of a life with Christ more than we can think or imagine. But here we see that the goal for the disciples was not for them to just catch a bunch of fish. That was not the point in all this. Yeah, Jesus here is not just trying to get them to catch a bunch of fish. Jesus says what is one of my favorite verses here in verse 12. Come and have breakfast. <laughs> and we see that no one had to ask who he was. Why? They knew it was Jesus. And so they break bread and they eat fish. And I love this so much because we see that Jesus had the meal prepared for them ahead of time. When they arrive on the shore, the fish are on the fire, the bread's there. He knew they would be hungry and he met their needs. And we remember that this all started because they were going to provide for themselves. But that was fruitless. But Jesus, he provides them with a meal and a catch. But again, not the goal. Because when Jesus says, come and have breakfast, he's not only inviting them to a meal, but what it represents a relationship with him. The idea of sharing a meal is something that implies friendship and relationship. Okay, short of a few like work dinner type things that I've been to before, usually if I'm eating a meal with somebody, it's because I like them, right? Do you just invite anybody over for dinner? The idea, again, of sharing a meal is something that implies knowledge. Again, they don't have to ask, is that really you, Lord? Because they know him, and they know that this is him. And so this meal represents friendship and knowledge of God. We are looking for something better and higher than what the world has to offer. Our goal is not worldly success, but to be known and to know our Lord and to have a relationship with him that is based on his grace rather than judgment. The goal is to know the Lord and to be in relationship with Him. As I said in the intro, J.I. Packer wrote a great deal about this being our primary goal, but listen carefully here to what he has to say about our life's goal and purpose. He said, What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something that catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What is better than that? The greatest goal we can have is to know the Lord by His grace. And we realize that the scriptures are full of imagery about knowing the Lord and, and specifically the sharing of a meal. Right? Whether it's Psalm 23, where we're told that the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Or whether it's in Revelation where we're told of the coming marriage feast of the Lamb. The scriptures are clear that Christians are to be a people who have a relationship with God. In fact, the Lord's Supper is an image of that as well. Again, it is for believers, for people who know Him. It's a reminder of His love and care and, and compassion and grace toward us. And it's a reminder that He will not leave us here, but will Bring us, again, to receive us into heaven where he is. We do it proclaiming the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection until he returns. And when he returns, we'll feast with him in eternity forevermore, singing his praises. 
The goal is that we know him. We have fellowship with him. And that is why Jesus restores Peter as we see next week. What is Peter restored to? Right, That's the question. What is Peter restored to? Well, he's restored to a right relationship with Christ. And so that is our goal. To know and have fellowship with Christ. And we must remember that if we have fellowship with Christ, we have everything. John Chrysostom was a famous pastor who was brought before the Roman emperor who threatened him, saying, I will kill you. Chrysostom responded, "Uh, no, you cannot, for my life with Christ, my life is with Christ in God. The emperor threatened, well, I'll take all of your treasures. Chrysostom replied, he said, no, you cannot. First of all, I have none you know of. My treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. The emperor then warned, well, I will drive you away from man and you will have no friend left. Once more, Chrysostom replied, no, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you. There is nothing you can do to hurt me. You see, Chrysostom understood that when we are in Christ, there is nothing that can truly have any lasting damage upon us. Fellowship with Christ affects everything, and it secures us against everything the world and the enemy can throw at us. As Romans says, we cannot be separated. What can separate us? Death, power, demons, etc. You go through the list, nothing. And so may our goal always be to have a deeper fellowship with Christ. And so as we conclude today, I, I hope you realize that there is a fruitlessness in the things of the world. Solomon said it was vanity of vanities. But with Christ, there is fruit and there is fellowship. But fellowship with Christ is only possible by his grace because in our sin, we are separated from God by our rebellion. And the Bible says that we truly don't have any life at all, but rather are dead in sin. And so if that is you this morning, if you look at your life and you say it's dead and it's fruitless and it feels pointless, then our encouragement, our plea, our warning to you is to turn to Christ. Place all your hope and faith in him. Throw yourself on his mercy just as Peter threw himself into the sea. Repent of your sins and your old way of life and receive new life by the grace of Jesus. And you will have fellowship, right relationship with God. But if you're a believer here today, don't look back. Do not go back to the old. Press forward into deeper fellowship with Christ. This is what Paul calls us to in Philippians. Forgetting what is behind. Press on toward that high calling that is on our life in Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for your tremendous grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for your love toward us. Lord, for the fellowship that we can have with you through your grace by the blood of Christ that took the punishment of our sins, Lord, and gave us his righteousness. Lord, we pray now that as we reflect on this message, Lord, as we reflect on this time of worship here today, and we sing even now, that, Lord, you would truly work in our life, that your will would be done. 
Lord, if there's an area where we have gone back to the old, that, Lord, you would help us to repent of it. Lord, if there's someone here who is dead in sin, we pray that you would call them to yourself. They may have fellowship with you. And, Lord, we pray that you would be people who are used by you for your glory and grace here in this community to share the gospel with those around us. Have your way in our hearts and our service. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.